listening to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Um, This morning it's my my very big pleasure to introduce our guest preacher, Um, but he's actually not a guest. Um, Yaku is, Yaku was the He's the original Josie pastor. He was the, uh, <laughs> the very first uh, pastor in Johannesburg many moons ago. Um, and then they, they were in London um, pastoring one of the churches there um, until last year when they, until they moved back to Pretoria. So they're now co-pastoring the, the congregation in Pretoria. Um, his wife's name is Erna and his kids are Abby, David and Emily. Um, and he's told me a lot about them. If I take him his word for it, they're amazing, um, which I believe they are. So let's just give him a warm welcome and say, Yaku, we receive you and we honor you and you're a blessing. Um, and uh, we're excited to hear what God wants to do through you. Thanks, Stephen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that... Your word says that your goodness and mercy will follow us, Lord, all the days of our lives. When we look behind us, that's all that we see. You can, we cannot shake it, Lord. And we thank you that this is the case right here and right now, this morning, that your presence is with us and your goodness and your faithfulness abound toward us, Lord. So we consecrate this time. We thank you for your presence here. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I, um, <clears throat> I was thinking of something that happened on one of our outreaches um, when we were, doing, we were doing a door-to-door outreach in uh, the complex where um, young George and them was, we used to live. And uh, I don't know if you've done door-to-door, but you get really extremes in terms of the reaction that you get. Uh, it's <laughs> so I've had people spit in my face. It's not so nice. And I learned new words uh, that I can't repeat here. But um, the one family that opened the door was uh, from an East, Middle Eastern background. I could see immediately. And what I also saw when they opened the door was some boxes. And I realized these guys were unpacking. So I was like, okay, they knew. So I, I just greeted them and I welcomed them, although I didn't live there in the area. I just said, you know, welcome. Welcome to the area. Are you new? You know, and then they said, yeah, yeah. And then they invited us in. I said, have you, have you heard of Jesus Christ? And they said, they've, actually, they've heard the name, but nobody's ever told them anything more. And it was one of the rare opportunities I've had to, to begin sharing the gospel from in the beginning. Eh? Isn't that a good place to start? And it was a long session. No, I'm just kidding. But it was really cool. Um, to be able just to have the, to have no no other baggage, no other influences, just to be able to share the gospel. I'm a, and I, what I was going to get to is it's so important for us to remember the moments, specifically the first moments when we experience the the presence and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's important for us to to keep in touch with those moments in terms of how we share our testimony, how we share our, what God has done in our lives. 
And I wanted you, if, if you, if you can't remember exactly how your walk with Christ began and how you got to be born again and how that happened, I was at a stage, I had to go and pray about it. It happened when I was about 12, or it was at 12. And I had to really go and pray about what happened there in those moments so that the Holy Spirit could remind me so that I could really share out of, out of that place of what happened. And, um, and actually, Apostle Annie asked me to, to share just a little bit of where Shofar Jane's book started. So if you bear with me, I got some photos. I had to dig deep to find these. Um, and uh, so I'm just going to run through a bunch of them, and I'm just going to share a little bit. I, maybe I'll get another chance to go in more detail. But in, in, um, if we can go to, yeah, if we can, yeah. So in 2005-2006, we started with prayer. I was still in Stellenbosch, but they already started with prayer here and with small groups. Uh, if you go to the first one there, this is not the first small group, but you'll rem- see some faces that you recognize there. But um, we started praying, and the guys started meeting. They were the, doing prayer drives all around the, 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 the N1, N3, you know, all around guys interceding for the city, lots of prayer going in. Then we started with services. Uh, I think it was first once a month, and it got more and more. And then we, when we got here, my wife and I, in 2007, in January, well, we got to Pretoria, and then we ministered from there, and we moved here a little bit later in the year. Started services at Cedar Park uh, Conference Center. Now, the first venue that we had there was about the size of a classroom, and we had 15 people. And, uh, yeah, it's just amazing to see the faithfulness of God. There is, we had, from the start, we had such um, committed people to the, to the gospel, commit people that would step out in faith with what they had in their hand. And I want to really encourage you. That's something that is such, so, so precious here is that we have a, a place from which leaders are being launched into all the world. Uh, you've probably sent a lot of people from here already. and uh, But that, I believe, is still something that God is doing here. So if you want to go on, um, that's, we, from the small venue, go on to the next. That We went to the bigger one. So that was towards, actually, towards about 2009. We were pushing 60, 80 in a service. Um, not not in small groups at that stage, all of them, but uh, the Lord really blessed the growth. And then go on a little bit. Well, there's another one. Go forward. From the beginning, we had very anointed worship leaders. You recognize some of them. Um, <laughs> very uh, committed. No, what a blessing. Um, the next one is... Uh, the next one is... Where we had our office, this is this was an encounter too. But uh, this is also the place where we had Bible school. Go on. Oh. Okay. Then we we started getting involved with kids. The social drinks started small. I don't know if it's still going. People dealing with stress in different ways. You can see. But there was a culture of outreach um, from the start, really reaching out to communities, reaching out to colleagues. Go on. Dealing with stress, like I said. Uh, 
Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> That's a better one. Um, but as I was looking through the photos, I realized one of the amazing blessings was right from the start, there was, a, there was people really just engaging with God in the workplace, engaging with what God wanted them to do and what God's purpose was for them in their community and in their workplace. Um, so we had regular encounters. We had regular baptisms. If I look through the photos, I just do lots of baptisms, which is just amazing um, because those all count for souls being added. I mean, uh, yeah, let's have a look at those few. Go closer. This, oh, that's the same one. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, so lots of baptisms happening and um, just amazing fruit. But the, the key things that I wanted to share is just the, the intercession the community in the small groups, the family, and the faithfulness of God to provide in every step of the way, an abundance for every good work. So if if you're challenged with reaching out to a workplace or to your community, there is an abundance for every good work. Are you with me? And, um, And just in terms of from there, we... We started in the, at Cedar Park. There was there were different size venues. It was actually very nice for that stage. We had a started in the classroom size one, then we moved over the corridor to the little bit bigger one, and then we moved another <laughs> another side to the the one you saw here. And then one there was even a bigger hall that we could which we also were able to use. And uh, it was just a blessing to to recognize God adding people with a heart for what God wants to do here. And uh, guys like Steph, right from the start, was helping guys to to not treat Joburg like a, it's just I can the season of let me get the best out of this and chuck you know, but really just invest what God is doing in this city. Amen. And so we found, we had people God adding people that were willing to seek Him for His kingdom to come in this in this city, um, and we saw just God's amazing faithfulness. So. What a privilege to be here this morning. Now, I have very little time left, actually. I think, well, how long can I go? Can I go? All right. Let's start. Luke chapter 8, um, from 43. Go one closer. It'll be, go one little more right. There you go. Okay, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. Just quickly context here. Jesus comes off the boat. Um... And there's a man from the local synagogue there to meet him. And he says, Jesus, please, can you come pray for my daughter? She's critically ill. She's, a, she's basically dying. Can we please pray for her? And she says, yes. And they're hurrying to his home. And now this is where we take it. And the woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately a flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And we take up the story here with this lady. And just, it's a difficult one, but for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of this lady. For 12 years, she's been wrestling with this condition. Now, this condition is not just one that is, has, a, has a, an effect on her health, 
But because of this issue of blood that she had, she was not allowed to be among people. Um, she was considered to be unclean. In other words, she was completely uh, outcast out of the community. And I can just imagine she had some wealth because she spent all of it on physicians. For 12 years, she tried everything she knew to try, and there was no solution for her. She was basically lost hope. 12 years is a lifetime. Pushing, trying, trying different things, being outcast, being alone, until Jesus comes into her situation. She hears about this man, and she goes into town. She knows she's risking a lot because she's not meant to be here. She would be completely, you know, if, if somebody noticed her condition among all the people, there would be crazy repercussions. But she's pressing through the crowd, trusting that if she can just get close to him. When Jesus comes into the situation, everything changes. When she touches him, not only is she healed immediately, not only is her body restored, but she's her shame is taken away. Her life is transformed. She's from a life of solitude and with no hope. She has new hope. And she has new life the moment Christ comes into her situation. When Jesus enters the situation, nothing can be the same. Can you see that? And now, how often do we find ourselves in that place where we've tried everything? We've but we're at the point of giving up. But when Christ, when, when Christ comes into that situation, when his word is spoken into that situation, when his presence comes into that situation, nothing can be the same. Amen. We used to play this game as a boy. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to that in a moment. Let's go on with the story now. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, So basically they were saying it's too late. Listen, don't waste time anymore. It's too late. The daughter's passed already. But look at what he answers here. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. And his spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded she to be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them not to tell, any, to tell no one what had happened. Now this situation is the, the, the daughter has been very ill. And now this man hears about Christ coming to his town. And he runs, he goes as fast as he can. He calls Jesus to come. Jesus agrees to come. They've tried everything. All, all hope is lost. There's just this little bit of hope left. Maybe Jesus can pray for her. And then there's a delay. Something comes in the way. Something goes wrong and it's too late often people saints we find ourselves in the place where we had a little bit of hope left and then it's too late Jesus God is too late Have, has God ever been too late in your life I've been there 
Jesus says, I want us to look how Jesus responds. It's so critical. He says, do not be afraid. Why does he address fear? Guys, because fear is one of the key things that keeps us from walking in the, the promise of God. Amen. Keeps us from walking in what he wants, us, wants to happen, what he wants to do in any situation is fear. He says, do not be afraid. He says to him, if you tithe a bit more, if you serve at church and you go to a small group, if you, if, you, um, you know, if you go to intercession every week, maybe there's a chance that your daughter will be healed. I think you can see that that's not what he said. Jesus says something very critical. He says, only believe. There's no performance required. There's no 10 steps that we, and no hoops to jump through. He says, believe. Guys, we, even as believers, for many years I've seen believers that have come a long way. We've saved by grace through faith. We are amazed by the saving grace of God. And then 10 years down the line, we find ourselves finding comfort and I don't know what in our performance as Christians. We find ourselves thinking good about ourselves if we tick all the boxes. And I think you guys don't struggle with that, but I've, I've found that in my life. But um, he says here, even down the line, it's, it's somehow the enemy convinces us that we can add something to the cross. I can receive the goodness of God, or I can receive his forgiveness by doing something. I can add something to the cross. Can you see that? I've had to repent of that because the cross, the cross is complete. There's nothing that we can add to the cross. The, the, the work of the cross is finished. It is complete. You and I can receive that gift and walk in that victory. He says, only believe. Then he does something very critical. He says, uh, there's a lot of people there that, that were you know, ridiculing him. Guys, I want to say this. If you're standing in faith for something, if you are trusting God, specifically it's like if, it's, if it's a long process, there will be people that will ridicule you. They will say, you're wasting your time. Face the reality. Have you heard that? Just be real. Be real about this. These are the facts. The girl is dead. There she is. Paramedics have been there, whatever. Just face the reality. Do you see what Jesus does? He gets all of them out. Thanks very much. You don't need, don't need this in my life now. If you're trusting for something, be, be aware of those guys that, that will ridicule or those guys that would want to speak death into that situation. Amen? If you need to, don't see them for a while. But surround yourself with those that will agree with you in, in, in trusting God. Amen? He says, only believe. He gets rid of the people that are unbelieving and ridiculing. And then we see the presence of God coming into this, into this situation. He, he takes her by the hand and he speaks a word of life. Arise. And the girl is erased from the dead right there. And he says, don't tell anybody what happened. But uh, I don't know how that's possible. But in any case... <laughs> When Jesus comes into that situation, from hopelessness, from death, 
to life, to new hope. If you're in a situation where Jesus is too late, where God is, hasn't pitched up in time, know that He is. When you invite Him into that place, when you invite Him into that dark place in your heart where you have maybe lost hope, or you have maybe got angry with God about something, invite Him in again. When He comes in, everything changes. Amen. Okay, I want to quickly look at Matthew 11, just to add to this, sorry. When you have small children, some of the tissues in your pocket aren't so uh, cool anymore. Anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, Matthew 11, um, when, when Christ comes into the situation, he heals and he restores and he, he, he brings rest. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, guys, we, we love this scripture, 28. We, we quote only that one. Did you, have you noticed? Come to me all you labor and are heavily laden, I will give you rest. Praise God. And then if you, me, my, and some of us are inclined to think rest means Veg on the couch, no, no brain activity, no, nothing going on. Screensaver, you know, just kind of, yeah, that hasn't happened to me for five years. My daughter's almost five now, but anyway, so, um, but this is not the rest that God is talking about. This is the key. It says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." And there, in that place, you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just feel this for some people here, tired maybe in your ministry, whatever your ministry is, whether it's prayer or whether it's small group or sound or whatever you're doing. Maybe you're tired or discouraged. The rest of God does not mean isolate yourself, take a break for three months and backslide. Okay, That's not the rest of God. Okay, I can see you guys don't struggle with that. But if I isolate myself and stop serving, I backslide. Okay? But he says this very critical thing. He says, the rest that you're looking for is found when you yoke with me. Have you seen oxen yoked together? I've seen it. Maybe I'm giving away my age. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the oxen are put together, the, the the young, inexperienced oxen are put together with the old, stronger, bigger, experienced ox. Okay, So they yoke together, and when they yoke together, they have to go in the same direction. They can't do their own thing. So the young ox comes and gets yoked with the bigger ox. All the young ox doesn't have a clue what's going on. The old ox says, listen to me, this is where we're going, whether you like it or not. This is the thing we, we're pulling. <laughs> This is our purpose, and this is where we're going, and this is how we do it. And then he, the young one learns. This is what Christ is saying. He said, if you want to find rest for your soul, leave all that stuff that you're carrying and come and take my yoke. Take the, take the purpose that I am pursuing in this city. Take that upon your shoulders. Come alongside me 
and learn from him. You know, it's a close thing. It's intimate. It's right here. Shoulder to shoulder. It's not far. He says, come and learn from me. My question this morning is, what does that look like for you in your community or at your workplace or at your family? What is Christ? What is his what does it look like when his kingdom is coming in that situation? And what would it look like for you to take that yoke and you would learn from him? Guys, we we in our society says, listen, if you can go to Mauritius for two weeks, that is rest. Guys, I'm not opposed to that. Okay, please get me. <laughs> but true rest and fulfillment. I can tell you that I have never experienced greater fulfillment and greater rest and greater just nourishment than when I, can, when I experience the kingdom of God coming through my life. When I've shared the gospel with somebody or when somebody has been born again or when I just had a little part of somebody's life being transformed, like Jesus says, that my food is to do the will of the, my Father who sent me. That is what nourishes us. That is what builds us up. That is what strengthens us. And this is where we find rest is when we yoke with him. Amen. Let's go on. He gives hope to the hopeless. In Psalm 39, the 7, says, Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. The lady with the flow of blood, the man whose daughter was ill, all hope is lost. If you this this morning, and I feel there's somebody, or maybe more than one person that is, there's something that you've been trusting for and something that you've been praying about, but actually you haven't prayed about it for a while. Because if, if you have to be really honest, you've lost hope. Maybe it's a person that you're praying for. Maybe it's healing. I just feel this morning God wants to give new hope. Scripture says that a hope in God is an anchor for the soul. It's a very apt picture. Because when that hope isn't there, our soul goes, goes all over the place, right? Like a little boat on the ocean. Soul is up the one day and down the next day, emotions all over the place. He says the hope in God that we have anchors the soul. Amen? I just feel that if that's you this morning, there's a grace this morning to tap into that. Amen? We used to We used to play uh, this game as children. Pastor Donnie from Stanerton, do you know him? If you're really blessed, he'll come and minister here. Anyway, uh, we were friends we're friends from grade one. So we uh, used to play uh, this game called Donker Kamerki. Have you heard of it? I don't know what it's called in, in English. Um, I always struggle to tell the story in England. Anyway, so... Uh, we used to make a, a room in the house very dark. Um, then one guy would be outside and everybody else would be in the dark room and hiding. And then the guy would come in from the dark. Obviously, eyes completely not used to the dark. And then trying to find the guys. Anyway, lots of fun. Have you ever entered into a, a, a pitch black room like that out of a light? Out of the light and then kind of felt for the light switch. And if, if you're lucky and there's no load shedding and you put it on... Have you seen that the darkness kind of just goes to the one side and then it goes like under the couch and then normally like out the window? 
And you haven't seen that. No. Because it's not how it works. When Jesus and the light of Christ comes into the situation, all darkness flees. Amen. There's no more room for darkness. There's nothing else can happen because Christ has come. And the light of the gospel has come. There can be no more darkness. Let's go to the next one. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, This is context quickly, this is where the Lazarus, a friend of Christ, was ill, critically ill, dying. His sisters, they actually on it. They get hold of Jesus in time, right? Jesus, please come. Lazarus is sick. For some reason Jesus doesn't come, he's delayed. And Lazarus dies. By the time Jesus gets there, he's, he's been dead for four days. The guys are weeping and mourning. It's crazy. It's just the mourning process is, is going on for a couple of days already. The sisters are beside themselves with grief. Why did Jesus not come? Have you found yourself there? Jesus, why did you not hear my prayer? Why, why did you not come when I was in my greatest need? And this is what he says to her. He says to her, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Who, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever believes, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then he calls Lazarus out of the grave. There's death in that moment. And Jesus comes. And he says, he doesn't say, listen, I can give you the ten steps or the five disciplines. Or these days with Google stuff, right? Google knows the answer. If you do these things for long enough, you're going to lose weight or whatever. You're going to be a better person. Even amongst Christian circles, with you, your best life now, if you do these things, you're going to have an amazing life. Jesus says, no, I, don't, I can't have, give you ten steps. The solution is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. The solution is not 10 steps, even blessed Christian books. The solution is Jesus himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am am the way, the truth, and the life. There's so much power in the fact when we recognize, I'm not looking for a process. I'm not looking for 10 steps. I'm not looking for a clever solution or an instant answer. My, my answer that I'm looking for is in a person, and his name is Jesus. And when I am in his presence, and when I invite him to come into my situation, it, nothing can be the same anymore. Pastor Sias, a friend of mine, I want, I want to show you this quote of him. I really enjoy it. Go to the next one. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He is a savior. Not a spiritual hairdresser, doctor, or magician. How often do we treat Jesus as somebody that can just fix up the outside, just make it look pretty, just patch, put some something, some makeup on? No, Jesus makes something dead alive. He's not into patching stuff up. And if sometimes we, we come to him only when, when we feel like, okay, but the, whatever the facade is I'm holding up is, not, is falling apart. And we say, Jesus, why don't you just patch this up for me? And Jesus doesn't understand that. He's not your emergency makeup artist or whatever. He brings 
life with his death. He makes new and he restores and he, he brings hope and he restores completely and he heals. Amen. Uh, a while ago I was sitting on a plane coming down from uh, Joburg to Cape Town and um, uh, having been in the Air Force I know a little bit about planes and I got onto the aeroplane, uh, when I got on I saw the thing, it says celebrating 50 years of aviation or something and I thought to myself, this must be the first airplane they bought because this thing is ancient. You know? And I thought, this is like a museum. And I, and I got onto the, and I thought to myself, luckily they re- Keep these things going quite well, but I was a little bit nervous. Um, uh, and I sat down next to somebody, and I could see see she's she's not having a good time. Just sorry, a lady from um, Mozambique, and uh, she was gripping a seat like this, you know. And there's some things that you don't say to people like that. My friend of mine used to do this, Pastor Ross. I don't know if you know him. He used to say, "Did you know?" That this aircraft was built by the lowest bidder. And uh, the one that could build it for the cheapest price. You know, it's like, okay. And he would say, did you know that this Boeing is made out of six million parts, separate parts, all of which cannot fly on their own? You know? Anyways, they don't say stuff like that. But anyway, so I saw this lady was really kind of stressing. And um, I don't think it had anything to do with the age of the plane. But... Um, and I did something really weird. Holy Spirit just dropped something in my heart, which I thought, well, this is weird. I've never said this to anybody, but here goes. And I said to her, listen, don't stress. I'm a pastor. We're gonna, uh, we get, you're going to be all right. And, uh, she <laughs> and uh, funny enough, it really worked. Obviously, Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And she started relaxing, and it turns out she's born again. And we start talking... Um, she, um, yo, we started chatting. English wasn't that great, but we could talk. And we chat, and, and the presence of God just comes into that airplane. She opens her heart. She tells me stuff that I cannot believe. She just tells a random stranger sitting next to her on the plane how she was raped as a young believer, how she had a daughter from that moment, and how God had taken that whole situation, transformed it into something beautiful. And she shares this with me, and I'm, I'm just, just experiencing the, the peace of God and the presence of God in that place. And then, and she shares with me, she, she, and I ask her about her relationship with God, and she says, and she tells me, and then she says, but I ask her about the Holy Spirit, and then comes out she's such, such a desire to know the Holy Spirit, and she's prayed many times, but she hadn't. hadn't she somehow she, there's something keeping her from really just receiving, and it comes out that she's some wrestling with fears around this, and and right there on the airplane, the grace of God, I I could just minister into those fears, and he, the Lord just comes and just ministers to her in, in those areas of fear and fear of rejection, fear of failure, so many things that kept her from really just receiving Holy Spirit, and and then we prayed. And right there, she's filled with the Spirit. She starts praying in tongues. And the guy next to her is getting concerned about the situation. <laughs> but she, the, the, what I found is just in that situation, as Jesus comes into that situation, to, to, to her complete um, uh, 
the situation is transformed. And he ministers and he meets with her right there where she's at. When we choose to yoke with Christ, we are the carriers of his presence. And we are the channels of his grace into every situation we find ourselves in. And I found even as a young believer, this is true. This is, this is not something that kicks in after 15 years of faithful service, guys. Because Jesus says, I'm with you. I'll never forsake you. Okay, I have to close. But um, my last story is, I don't know, I'm not going to read it to you, but it's from John 8, where Jesus, uh, where the woman is caught in adultery, and she's dragged into the public plane. She's probably naked. She's probably, she's completely exposed, pulled out there, just dragged into the plane there, and she's going to be stoned to death. I always wonder in these situations, how can a woman be caught in adultery on her own? Anyway, it's just uh, some of the culture of the day. But uh, long story, but she, Jesus basically says, okay, whoever has no sin cast the first stone. You know the story. He writes on the ground. He, when he gets up, everybody's gone. And he says to her, so read the last but say, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He extends forgiveness and mercy and grace. I want to just say, as a young believer, I, I remember driving down to Cape Town with my mom and my aunt to go and say goodbye to my uncle who had been in a coma for a couple of weeks after severe uh, cancer. Uh, I'd known my uncle, but I never had a real relationship with him. I was still quite young. I was just a couple of years or two out of school. And, uh, and uh, as we arrived, my, my cousin said to everybody, please don't talk to him about G or God because he doesn't believe. It just upsets him. And uh, I knew she was talking to me, and nobody else there would speak to him about Jesus anyway. Um, but I remember, even as a young believer, standing outside, doing the whatever spiritual warfare I knew it had to do, and then I just, I just I was felt so hopeless. And I, kind of, I didn't know what to say, what to pray. I said, Lord, I, just, I need you in this situation. He's been an amazing person all his life, but he doesn't know Jesus. He's a good guy. But he doesn't know Christ. And uh, I trusted God for an opportunity. And what we were there with him too, too, all the time. So it was quite difficult. Then there was a phone call from my cousin. And my aunt was sleeping next to my uncle. And I was like, yes. And I grabbed his hand. And I shared the gospel with him. He could still hear. He could still receive. He, could st he was gripping my hand. But I, he couldn't speak. You know, in a coma. Sort of. And... Uh, he gripped my hand, and I said to him, we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to pray now, and I want you to cry out in your heart. Because no matter what you've done all your life, that the grace of God is sufficient for you. So you reach out to him right now. And he took my hand so firmly, and I prayed with him. 
And I could see him looking in my eyes, and we prayed together. And as I said, amen, my cousin came back. And I was like, you know. But guys, the peace of God and the presence of God in that moment, I can't, I don't know, honestly, but I believe that he he reached out to Christ in that moment. I believe that he had an opportunity to respond to the love of God. But I'm saying this because I was a young believer. I didn't know all the deep stuff. or I didn't know lots of deep theological things. And I knew the grace of God is sufficient for him. The next morning passed away. I want to say to you, if you find yourself in a place where, even as a young believer, you're reaching out to a family or friends, trusting God for your community or your workplace, If you choose, when you and I choose to yoke with him, his presence is with us. And I just know when Jesus is with me, anything can happen. Anything is possible. He brings life with his death. He brings hope where there's no hope. Amen. Amen. Just the last scripture there in Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly come and invite him. I'm not sure, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know your situation. I don't know if you're in a place where you trust in God and reaching out or whether you're in a dark place in your own, in your own life and maybe in a bit of a pit of despair. But I know the Jesus that comes into the situation and transforms it. I know the Jesus that comes and takes your hand and pulls you out of every dark place. I know the Jesus that comes where there's no more hope for salvation and he saves to the uttermost. I know Christ that where all hope is lost for, for healing, he completely restores.